Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White, a Newcastle United podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live. We are the only place you need to come for all the up-to-date news about your club. We have a panel of expert writers who have covered the club for many, many years. We have legends of the game who also join us as special guests as well as writers from further afield. Hit that subscribe button and get your weekly update of Newcastle United. Hello, this is part one of NUFC Lockdown Live, brought to you by Chronicle Live. We invited NUFC legend Warren Barton and the Mirror's Simon Bird to join our panel of writers to discuss everything to do with Newcastle United. I hope you enjoy. Right, uh, still admitting people are. We will kick on um, as it is half seven, um, and I will just admit people as they pop up. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us on Black and White Live. As you can see, um, our panel is up above there. We have uh, special guests, Simon Bird from the Daily Mirror and actually Cast United, Claire Warren Barton there, all the way from San Diego. We also have Alex Hurst of the NUST and our panel of writers from the Chronicle, uh, Lee Ryder, Kieran Kelly, Mark Rubbish and Sean McCormick. And we also have Neil, the dentist, from Dubai to share some Middle East insight, should we need it. I have a feeling we might do. Um, to kick off the way it's going to work, I'm just going to ask Lee to introduce or to share his understanding of where things are at at the moment. Um, and then we will have a kind of Q&A with Warren, um, who will share his insight and his feelings on a potential takeover at Newcastle. Um, and yeah, so Lee, if you can, if you can kick on, Lee, and just tell us kind of your latest understanding. It's been another kind of busy twenty-four hours in the world of Newcastle United takeover. So, what's your latest understanding of where things are at? Yeah, well, I mean, welcome along, everybody. Um, basically, I mean, yesterday we seen a couple of reports from national newspapers, which were like casting quite a bit of doubt on on the deal. Um, today, basically, in a virtual office, if you like, we've had a check-in with people in and around the deal. Uh, and the people I speak to who are close to this, are they're still confident that you know they're going to get the breakthrough on this. Uh, yes, there is further questions to be answered um, on certain things, but they're all keeping that part of it very tight. The Premier League, um, they're refusing to divulge with the media while... They are at least acknowledging we're now. They are at least taking calls and emails and texts, um, but they obviously can't say too much on it until it, it's completely sorted out. But if you speak to people who are close to the bidding side, they believe this could go through. Um, when it goes through, that's that's a million-dollar question. I'm not going to jump in and make rash predictions. I know a few people already have, have jumped in and, and put specific dates on it. It's so difficult to tell. But as I say, those people who are on the bidding side, they're very confident of it. Um, I guess with any journalist sort of story, you have to get try and get all sides of the story. We've been to the Mike Ashley side. Usually there is people in and around their camp who will stand things up or knock them down. Um, they haven't said a lot, um, but they certainly haven't denied these talks are going on. So room, room for optimism. Um, patience, probably the watchword. I know we've been trying to be patient all the way through this, but... There's a, a, a lot of uh, tension in the air. We are, we're, all, we're all being locked down. Uh, we're all feeling it, but hopefully there is going to be a positive breakthrough. Fingers crossed. Now, we have got um, a long list of questions from you guys. A lot of you guys have sent them in, so we will put them to the panel um, after we've spoken to Warren. Um, he's such a popular man. He's double booked tonight, so we're going to dive straight in and get his uh, view and opinion on what is happening at the moment. Also talk about some of the the memories, some of the good times, um, obviously Warren played under Kevin Keegan and, and Warren Bar. Uh, he is Warren Barton, sorry, under Kevin Keegan and Sir Bobby Robson. Um, but first, Warren, what's the uh, the attention on the takeover been like over in the USA? What are the Newcastle fans over in the States thinking about what's going on at the moment? I think very much um, to, to what it is back home. You know, a lot of excitement. Uh, Lee mentioned there that word patience, and it's been very difficult in the circumstances over the last couple of months of the situation that we've all been uh, put under but I think there's a lot of uh, belief that this is the the, the real deal uh, no news is good news sometimes I know we all want to have it straight away that we're, it's, it's been done and dusted but there's a lot of paperwork to go through and obviously there's certain criteria that everybody has to meet 
Um, but it's been not just, again, in Newcastle fans. I think it's been globally all over the world because if, if and when the backers come in, the money that the, uh, the, the people can bring into the club and, and obviously put Newcastle back where they belong and challenging at the top. Um, you mentioned the times of Kevin Keegan and Sir John Hall, obviously, when they went out and got Les Ferdinand and David Ginola, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Tino Espria. Those are, those are the type of players now that we want to bring in, you know, and with the money that's been brought along, possibly, uh, we can attract them players. I know people have said, well, if it's Pochettino, Steve Bruce or whatever, but, you know, players will come and agents will come to try and be successful. And I think this globally, because of the, the know-how of the fans, the two armies, such well-known, um, as I said, across the globe, it's got a lot of interest. Uh, if it was... You know, like a, an Everton or something like that. I'm not sure whether it'll have the same impact. Um, but with Newcastle, what they've gone through with the ownership, the problems that they've had, uh, it seems to really got everybody's appetite going and, and got everyone excited. And whether it's a, a Man United fan or a Liverpool fan that I bump into, um, they're excited for Newcastle. Uh, and it could be something special. And we just, as you said, keep our fingers crossed. But as I said, it's not just a regional thing or in the UK. This has gone global because of, of what potentially could happen. You mentioned there signing Les Fernandes. It's coming up to 25 years, if I'm not mistaken, since you signed that week and then uh, Les signed. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it would be really nice to see that kind of money spent again in the summer, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, that, that summer, Newcastle went on a spending spree like, not like we, well, what we haven't seen really since. Four million to get you someone's little toe at the moment, so that ain't going to get you a lot. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so exciting. You know, the times that you know, I got the phone call, the bank holiday Monday, and Les was there two days later that he'd got the phone call. We met Kevin Keegan in a hotel in, uh, in London and just had a chat. And It, it didn't take too long um, to, to make your mind up. And I think people know that I'd always wanted to be at a big club and that obviously challenged the things. And, and Les was exactly the same. And then David walks through the door as, as the male model and a fantastic player. And then it just goes on and on with David Batty and Tino Espria. Yeah, really exciting times and, and, and great memories, you know, being at Maiden Castle. And I think that this time as well has made us try and reminisce. I've seen Euro 96 has been put on TV and it just gets back to the good times. And I know a lot of the journalists that used to come up to the North East used to, you know, fight to try and get up there to be, you know, in the town, in the tomb, being around uh, what was going on. It was vibrant, it was exciting, it was... It was everything that the city should be, and and as players, we we had that responsibility. And you know, as I said, I loved every seven and a half years I had up there, and it was a great, great time with great people. Obviously, you came from Wimbledon. You you are from down south. Was it a hard sell? Because you, we've seen some uh, pundits, uh, such as Jimmy Redknapp, saying, or even with the money, it's still going to be a difficult, difficult sell um, to get players up to Newcastle. No, not, not at all. For, for us, you know, I'll tell a quick story. I played Wimbledon, I played for Wimbledon against Newcastle, and I think it was like February, and I was doing a call down afterwards, and um, Newcastle won the game. And just to be around that stadium and that atmosphere, and, and as I said, you speak to anyone now that, you know, they want, Gary Neville said it, you know, to go up to St. James's Park, Martin Tyler said it, the atmosphere, the, the, the excitement players want to go up there, the adrenaline, you know, I remember watching the fans walk all up the hill, dressing their black and white, it just gets you going, you know, your hairs on your arms stand up, uh, thinking about them times, and we can get them times back, we can get back into that times going forward, so, yeah, certain players, you know, I'm not naive enough to say, yeah, everybody's going to come, but if you have in place a club that's got fantastic fans and are hungry and desperate for success in, in any form, put a coach in there and the resources to do that, and then put players that you can bring in to attract other players. And that's what happened with Les. Les come, then David come, and, and then the list was on uh, endless. So players will want to come. They'll be intrigued to say, you know what, this could be something exciting. People haven't gone to Manchester for the weather. People, you know, people don't go to London because it's a nice drive around. They're coming to, for the money, ideally, but also to be successful. And you mentioned there the managers that have been linked, Pochettino, you know, Rafa Benitez as, as, as well. With Steve Bruce, do you think he, A, deserves credit for what he's done and B, deserves it a chance to stay on? Or would you, if the takeover is complete, go for a big name? I think I think I already know your answer, but please tell uh, the guests here. Yeah, I, I've been on the record. You know, I've got utmost respect for Steve. And I don't want to patronise uh, Steve as well because he was a top-class player. And you know, where he's coached and what he's been able to do with 
a club in the Premier League or in the Championship to get them up or make them be, you know, mid-table and survive. I don't want Newcastle to survive. I want us to win things. I know people say, well, Pochettino's not won anything, but he's got a chip on his shoulder. He wants to prove a point. He's hungry. He's ambitious. He can attract certain players, whether it's young, vibrant players to come in. So Steve, one, should get a lot of credit for what he's done. But I just think the new ownership, with their forward thinking, we don't want to wait two or three years and just see what happens. Momentum's a big thing in sports. And if you can get that momentum that we had in, in 95 and, and to get up there to challenge, to get back in the Champions League, to get to cup finals, I know we didn't win anything. And a day doesn't go past that I don't wish we won something in that time. But at least we was competing and we was challenging. And that's where we want to be now. We won't want to just be surviving or breaking in. We want to hit the Premier League by storm and go forward because everybody will be wary of it. And if you can get one big-name player big name coach, and then you start adding to that, it's a snowball effect. You mentioned there, obviously, the NTN has not managed to win anything. Then you had Sir Boy Robson, you went close again. It must be a nice feeling if Newcastle managed to to better that under this perspective of new ownership. And I guess that's exactly what you want. You don't, you know, you'd be nice not to be referred to as the last team that did something sort of thing. Yeah, um, I get... It's, it's sad that you have to keep getting the old fellas on to talk about what happened 25 years ago. You know, we should, a club like Newcastle and the fan base and what it's gone through and the money that it's been spent, uh, the academy needs to be better. There's lots of things we, we can talk about uh, with the younger players. Um, but we are where we are uh, and we've got to try and bounce forward and, and be positive. And it's not just the fact of getting the first team right. We've got to look with this investors at the academy. Look what Chelsea have done over recent years to bring around these t- talented players. You can't have a Michael Carricker and Alan Shearer leaving the North East and going down south to other clubs. You've got to have that going going forward and be organised in that respect. The, the stadium needs a bit of TLC as well. That's just been left to, to, to go forward and, and make sure the fans' experience is great when they're going to St. James's Park. Um, and then obviously the product on the field. And, you know, you get the coach, uh, you get the uh, the players that come in, um, and then it could be you know exciting time. And you don't have to get some old git who's you know in their fifties <laughs> talking about things that happened a long while ago. You know we'll we'll be there in the fans and in the strawberry or in the black ball getting ready for the games. Given that Mike Ashley was one of the richest people in the Premier League when he took over, is there a sense for you of kind of what if? Because you know he could have built something here. He could have you know, achieve something with the amount of money he did have when he first took over in United. Yeah, hindsight's a great thing. I th- you know, let me go way, way back. I don't think he was helped by some of the advice that he got with people in the club. I think he walked into it thinking that it was just going to be another football club. It's not. It's a different club. Every every big club has its own DNA. You know, Liverpool have their own, Man United, etc. And Newcastle's no different. So it has its own DNA. And they just thought, we'd come up two days a week and... and it'll work out. Well, it doesn't work out like that. You've got to be with the fans. I knew that earlier on with people like Lee Clark, Steve Watson and and Kevin Key and Pedro, Peter Beardsley. So you've got to be there with the people day in, day out. They don't want to see people disappearing. So you have to understand the culture of the football club. And unfortunately for for Mike earlier on, the people around, I don't think helped him. And then it was a snowball effect. And then he started running it as a business. Uh, And then unfortunately, yes, listen, he's going to come out with a lot of money. And I've been on record saying this, time and time again. If I was a, a billionaire, a millionaire, and I go into work every day getting criticised, I'd just, life's too short. I'd move on, sell it, and move on to something else. He's dug his heels in and made it difficult with, you know, changing the name. You know, for me, when I was working for Fox, they used to say, you've got to call it the sports director. No, for me, it's St. James's Park. It doesn't change. That's for what it is for me. And, um, you know, to do them type of things is not understand. It's like rude when he come out and said when we play Sunderland. It's a regional derby. It ain't. It's not. It's it's the being an endor. That game's are the being an endor. Yes, it's only three points. Yes, it's only this, but it, it means so much to everybody. So, given there some of the kind of mistakes that Mike Ashley's made, and we mentioned a couple there, what would you like the new owners to do, kind of straight away? If you could give them maybe a five-point checklist, what would you like to see them do? I've got an eight-page letter here. Where I've been sitting. I've been stuck in a house. So, the first thing, obviously, is the is to find out the coach that you want, to identify who that would be, who's going to take this club forward. You mentioned Sir Bobby Robson. When we was in dire straits, Sir Bobby come in and changed it like that, just by understanding people and treating people properly. 
He, uh, so I'm not saying Steve, you know, could have the chance, finish the season, whatever it may be, but make that decision who's going to take the club forward. You need to then to start bringing, you know, quality players. They're very much like, as I said, with Les and, and Tino and David come along. But also you've got to look for the younger players. The academy, you've got to start looking at. You know, we're, at the moment, we're all watching the Bundesliga. There's some talented players out there, young players. And the reason they've got better is because they've been given a chance to go and play. And now whether it's been Timo Werner, uh, Akimi yesterday, I know he didn't have the best of games, but he's playing against one of the uh, top players at left back, uh, Alfonso Davis. But look at the younger players coming through. And ultimately, then it's the club in the inner city. Make sure we've got, you know, training facilities for Wolves and Boys Club and put money into the community. And that generates that togetherness. Uh, and I think that's when we're at our best, when we're at t- together with the fans, with the players, and have some identity with the players as well. So there, there's, there's a list of players that I would want to bring in. There's a, a coach that you think would bring in. But it's all working together going forward. So if that can be done, which is, is quite simple, there's no reason why it can't be successful. And I mean, I've seen a few people suggesting... Uh, you would you can come back to the club in some capacity. Is a is a, is a job that you'd want if you could sit down with the owners and they offer you something? I would just love to be involved. I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say you know I've got my pro license. I've coached and you know I've been coaching over here, whether it's been LA Galaxy Academy or whether it's been coaching local teams and uh, you know lower level players in the non-league. So I would love to be involved. You know, listen, I, I live in arguably I must remember this the second best place in in the world because obviously. <laughs> Newcastle, so I have to remember that. But I've got a great lifestyle here. I made a big decision way, way back in '08. Um, but it, this is a special place and it's a special club. Uh, and I've said it on the record; it'd have to be special for me to get away. Uh, but it is a special. You know, talking about it now, I'm getting excited. So my wife can't hear me, so I'm all right at the moment. She, she's at, she's out the house at the moment. She got my walk. Um, well, we'll finish on just some memories of you know playing for the entertainer, as you've mentioned. Maiden Castle, and I imagine quite a few of our guests here would have travelled up maybe to watch the guys train um, in the early 90s at Maiden Castle. I mean, that must be one of the memories that sticks in your mind, um, which is all them fans and kind of all weathers coming to see you guys train. Yeah, you, you mentioned it there. And when I was at Wimbledon, we might have 2,000 people watching as a Premier League game against Bolton. I remember me and Terry Gibson, uh, when we was doing a warm-up at, at Wimbledon, we counted 295 people uh, 20 minutes before kickoff. So to go from Wimbledon, which listen was a an unusual football club. It was it was great while I was there. The people that was was uh, around, the likes of Vinny and Fash, uh, John Scowls, you know them type of people that have gone off and had good careers. Dean Holdsworth, you know it was a great time for me. But then to go to 2,000 people or you know sharing a ground at St James at, at uh, Selhurst Park, then to go to Maiden Castle. And I remember the first day at Gosford Park. Me and Les have got down early to get some breakfast and all of a sudden in the silhouette, it's a lovely sunny day. David walks in with a white linen shirt, linen trousers. He's like a movie star. He's got his glasses. I mean, Les is a good looking man, but even Les said, fucking hell. He said, I've got no chance with him. So David come in, we, we drive down to Maiden Castle and little do we know, there's like 4,000, 5,000 people there. There's hamburgers stall, there's coffee stalls, there's people all around. Kevin Keegan at one training session is sitting on top of it with, with um, Terry McDermott. So them exciting times. And, you know, we had to get in early anyway. Um, and Kevin used to say, you can't come in until you've signed the autographs. So like 25, 30, 40 minutes, you're there signing autographs, going on a train. So that was a huge wake-up call for me. Obviously, I've been around uh, the England setup with, you know, Peter Beersley. Was around. Barry Venison was great, by the way. He was... Stuart's at Newcastle when I was talking to him and he said, you've got to come because I was linked with Arsenal, you know, uh, Celtic, uh, Man City. I was linked with quite a few clubs at that time, Blackburn as well. Um, but Venice was sitting there saying, you, you've got to come. It's a great time. It's exciting times. Uh, you're going to love it up there. And it, it wasn't. I wasn't disappointed. It was everything that I could dream about. And, you know, being starting off the season, going to the first game at home and just seeing, I said the Les at half time. I can't see it. It's just fucking black and white everywhere. All the shirts everywhere in the stadium. And, you know, just them exciting times, winning the game, being around the, the, the city as well, uh, people coming up to watch the game and just having the, you know, people do say to me, what's the greatest moment? The, the seven and a half years was great. The 220 games to, to put the shirt on. I know it's not bullshit. I'm not trying to suck up to people. It's honestly, it was a, a great time for my life. 
And obviously, Sir John Hall was the chairman, the owner there, the man who was signing the checks. It must have been nice to have someone who just wanted to go along for the ride. He was the man, you know, pushing everything. He wanted to take Newcastle, not just in football, but in rugby, basketball, you know, right up the, to the top of the table. And it must have been nice to, to, to have someone like that back in the club. Yeah, I mean, it was to us to have a chairman like Sir John who wanted to be with the players. And then he had this dream to have 11 Geordies out there playing. But, you know, from his point of view, he just wanted the club to be successful. Um, he understood the dynamics of Kevin Keegan, of letting Kevin work. And that, again, that's good man management. Uh, and, uh, you know, like all of us, I think we've been watching the, the Netflix with Sir Bobby Robson, um, the documentary about him and Sir John obviously desperately trying to get uh, Bobby to come from Barcelona and Bobby, everybody knowing what Bobby's like was never going to walk away and leave someone um, you know, it's from that point of view it just shows you his ambition and they're the coaches that we're talking about we want to try and get now uh, but a, a great a great man, a great leader he had his side though, you know he, he would, didn't want to have reserve football, he wanted it to be uh, you know, first team only be successful, the basketball so there were certain things with Sir John but the big thing about him, he had, you know uh, Newcastle in his heart and he wanted them to be successful Well just to finish then um, if you could sit down and just say like, kind of one thing to the perspective of new owners about this club about understanding the fans and what they want because a lot of the time people get get it wrong you know they say Newcastle United fans expect too much they they don't like Southerners for example which I'm, I, I assume must wind you and Rob Lee up quite a bit and Les um, oh, yeah, and not liking Rob Lee. I didn't even like <laughs> Rob Lee. I had fucking eight years of him. <laughs> I can tell you that. But no, it's if you give Newcastle the respect and the love, you will get it back four times. It, there's no doubt about it. We all sit here with the same feelings that if you give everything to the club, it will give you so much back. It's like it's like football. It's like if I say it to my kids training, if you give everything to the game, it will give you so much back. And if you do that to Newcastle, you give us so much back as well. And that's all we want. That's all I want. You know, is every morning I wake up and see if it's it's come through. I just want us to challenge. Um, and just hopefully, you know, we was all hoping this week that we was going to have some good news. Maybe a few of the journalists can you know, break a story and say that we, 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 we've we signed and it's all signed, sealed and delivered. But uh, we all want it. And we all want it badly. Uh, and that's been 13 years in the making. Fantastic. Well, Warren, we, we appreciate you taking the time out. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed a bit of an insight then, a trip down memory lane from Warren. Um, thanks again, Warren. Enjoy the rest of your day. Sorry for the language with the kids. I didn't realise there's been <laughs> kids there, so I do apologise, but I'm going to keep on for a little bit more. Just, I want Fantastic. To I'm going to keep stay on. Brilliant Good stuff. Stay safe. Cheers, Warren. Um, well, there you have it. Insight from there from Warren Barton. We're going to jump into the panel now. Um, like I said, we have plenty of questions um, from you guys, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive straight in. The first one is going to go to Mark Douglas, if I can unmute it. There we go, Mark. Um, obviously, over the last 24 hours, you know, a story about the piracy claims in the Middle East and uh, you know the, the findings or the supposed findings of the, the World Trade Organization. Are you... Worried by that? You did say six weeks ago, maybe, I don't know how long it was ago, maybe two months now, um, that that could be the sticking point. You mentioned that in one of the, the first kind of podcasts that we did a, a few weeks back. What's your latest on that? Is that something to be worried about? Well, I always felt that, that, that this wouldn't be straightforward. I mean, that's not just because it's Newcastle United. Um, I always felt it wouldn't be straightforward because I felt there'd be a lot of noise and there would also be a need for all the different parties to show that they'd um, taken heed of some of the complaints as well. But I always felt the human rights, um, the human rights complaints, while obviously very important and things that we should listen to and, and educate ourselves about, they just don't, they are not part of the test. It's not a character test. It's, um, it is a, a very prescriptive um, set of rules and, and regulations. And I always felt that the piracy thing was the one the one thing that would be potentially a sticking point but I think what we have to what we what we don't know yet obviously we saw the WTO uh, report mentioned in the Guardian piece yet, yesterday but we don't yet know what's actually in that report now it could be that, um, that, that it's a very explicit link to Saudi Arabia in which case obviously as Lee said earlier 
um, the the people who are involved in the bid say the people who are the, on the Saudi side who are going to be involved in the Newcastle bid don't have any any links to that. So so they would they would argue that that, that it's not necessarily relevant to this test. The problem is we don't know what the Premier League are thinking. But I think on the balance of probability, um, they're probably not going to be able to uh, block it without there being a fight from the potential buyers. Um, and I also feel like my my take on it, it's an educated guess because we don't know what the Premier League are going to say, but I don't think there's going to be enough to actually tie it um, to, to stop this this thing from going through. But again, it really depends what's in, what's in the report because one of the things that could be said in that report is that um, they haven't, maybe the Saudi government just haven't done enough to prevent B out Q from being, uh, from being broadcast in Saudi Arabia, which is a very different thing from saying that they're running it. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, we're into very, very technical things now. And yesterday it was a very broad brushed uh, article in The Guardian. So, you know, while obviously it causes us all to have jitters and it's delayed the thing, definitely, um, whether it's actually going to uh, torpedo the whole thing, I don't know. And I'm really sorry about the sun shining off my, uh, my bald head, by the way, for everybody. But I'm still, I'm still optimistic about it. But, I, I, you know, I, I think the longer and longer it goes on, the more and more of these kind of things we're going to hear the more and more nervous we're going to get. And, and that's, that's where it comes into it. You know, I know that there's a lot of rumours going around the world of football now about what's going on. And, you know, but I, I still think at the end of it, and I don't know how long the process is going to be, I do think that Newcastle will have new owners. Just want to bring in Neil there in Dubai. I mean, can you just briefly explain the kind of geopolitics over there between Qatar and uh, Saudi Arabia? Because it will play a part in this, won't it? Constantly plays a part in it, and I think that's the um, to use an expression from Bill Corcoran that he, he gave me the other other week. We're, we're crossing the, the the lake on the on the lily pads, um, and it's it's more than delicate. Um, it's a situation that transcends politics. It's there's a religious aspect to it as well. Um, there's even you can take it down to tribal divisions way back and you know generations back and it's deep-seated and it's, it's vitriolic. And I think that's, that's the problem. And that's the problem we face as a fan base. As a, as a fan base, as we get things like this thrown at us. Um, it just does one thing, which is an energy that could be usable, which is creates a little bit of siege mentality. But that mentality taken too far leads to knee-jerk and angry reactions, sometimes to things which we shouldn't react to at all. Or if we are going to react to them, we should take a step back and have a think before we re reply. And I think even I've been guilty a little bit of that on social media last week. I think I lost my blob about something. When in hindsight, I, I took it, you think, I, I probably shouldn't have bit at that. Um, and, I th and I think that was, it's a lesson for everybody that we've got to be aware of it. Far from an expert, but being immersed in the region. You know, you can tell me what a which publication or which television channel is going to set, tell, tell the story. And I can almost tell you straight away what the angle the story will come at it is. And you don't have to think very hard to predict that. It, it, it's immediately, um, you know, whether it's going to be something positive or something negative. I think the, the, the best example we had recently was the uh, it was Chianura's Toontown Hall, where if you look at the Al Jazeera report, the parent news station to be in, if you look at how they reported on it, um, it was a very, very different thing to the actual thing that we took part in. Um, and, and you'd think they, they were almost describing a very different meeting. And, and that's the angle we have to take on it constantly, is just be aware of where, where things are coming from and what angle they're coming from. Fantastic. Thanks for that insight there. You know, he's a, was a founding member of the NUST, former chair. Simon, um, from your point of view, I mean, a lot of fans always go back to the, the they're saying, well, you wouldn't put down such a deposit if you, you weren't confident of A, getting the green light, but surely you would, you, you would know that this is going to crop up during these tests, but you would be confident enough you're going to pass it because you've put £17 million down or however much the deposit is. Yeah, I don't think that any of the objections which have been raised by Qatar or Amnesty or newspapers or any, anyone, all, all, the, all those objections which have been raised to Saudi Arabia bidding for Newcastle and wanting to take over, they'll have been anticipated. They've got highly paid, very highly paid expert PR people working with the bid. Um, and they're, they're going to have an argument to hit the Premier League back 
with at, at every stage. Um, the piracy issue is a difficult one, and it's the latest one. Um, and it's probably the most complicated one for the Premier League to deal with because the Premier League themselves have, have actually given evidence to, to the World Trade Organization and try to take legal action against Saudi Arabia for, for the piracy. So for them to now sanction a few months later a takeover by allegedly the same regime, the same country, um, is, is difficult for them. But, I mean, I have to agree with Mark and, and Lee that it's, it's so far down the line, deposits played, deals signed, they're working on stuff already that... And behind the scenes, um, football-wise, that that it's so far down the line. I don't think the Premier League will will end up blocking it. I think they'll have to find a way around the complicated image of of approving this uh, approving this takeover, and it will be approved. But it's t- it is taking time, and people have got to be patient. Um, but it was brilliant. I tell you what, one thing there was it was absolutely brilliant to hear what Warren was saying, um, giving us a proper insight into what the club felt like and the city felt like 25 years ago when it had when there was ambition when there was investment when there was they were getting top players um and that's what that's why people are so the nation probably doesn't understand why people are so excited about Saudi Arabia taking over because they're going to have a load of money they're going to want to be proper players in the Premier League um, and we're hoping that it's going to be like a remake of, of 25 years ago but the price that Newcastle fans are paying now and the club that is paying and we're all paying in terms of covering this story, is that to get to the stage of having someone with a load of money um, in charge, um, that comes with issues. And once these issues are overcome and it's approved, then I think it'll be back to the football side. They'll die down a bit and we can concentrate on how a club's going to be rebuilt. Fingers crossed. Uh, Kieran, you did a little piece on Mike Ashley yesterday about um, a kind of a look at who he is, an insight into his kind of uh, behaviour and attitude. How would you think he'll be taking this, I don't know, I don't want to call it a delay because that will always kind of throw up a bit of panic for people, but how do you think he'll be, deal, be dealing with this, I'm going to say the word delay, and getting the deal signed off? I'm sure if anyone wants to imagine the mind of Mike Ashley and what goes through, but yeah, I think um, it's such a contrast, obviously, to when he bought the club in 2007, you know, he jumped in feet first, no due diligence, and it happened overnight, you know, before anyone really knew what was going on, uh, that even the club was was for sale. Mike Ashley was was the new owner. And I think you've seen here how he probably feels he's done all his part of the deal, you know, um, when it comes to uh, those negotiations, the agreement, as you mentioned, the deposit earlier, he's done his side and it was really up to the Premier League. And I think it surprised everyone Although the Premier League never put a time frame on this, that it has taken so long, um, and it does send alarm bells in some ways. Even though with everything that's going on with Project Restart, with um, you know the fact everything has to be done virtually, that you know I don't think a, an end game is on the horizon necessarily. It just feels like, as Mark said earlier, more and more things could potentially come out uh, the longer this goes on. So I think for Ashley, it's He's probably looked at this as, as a time to, to get out. You look at the Fraser's group, the hit they've, they've taken uh, since the coronavirus crisis happened. Um, you know, the idea of getting £300 million in one hit when his businesses are taking such a hit, that's a massive, massive thing. So he probably feels now is the time to go. I think a lot of fans probably would have thought that him agreeing to the sale was the biggest obstacle because we know how hard he is to negotiate with. Um, and yet, as we said, it's, it's been something like piracy that really, it's ironic that the human rights thing to me feels a bigger issue, yet it's going to be the piracy that feels the biggest obstacle. And we know the Premier League take this really seriously. I mean, they wrote to the US government, I think in February about it, um, on a very local level, they're prosecuting people who have those boxes. So they're going to take their absolute time with this to make sure uh, it's fine. But on the, the buying side, what I will say is, uh, I think Simon said, you know, they will prepare for this. Um, you know, can the Premier League prove that there's a link between, say, one of the directors, whether it's Al Rumayan or whoever else, and this idea of Saudi state piracy? You know, that that's the key question. That's probably why it's taken so long to get an answer. And, and Sean, I guess the other reason as well is, as Kieran mentioned there, Project Restart. I mean, that has to have had an impact um, Kieran Maguire, the, the kind of the football uh, finance expert, 
I think, summed it up perfectly last week when I spoke to him. And he just said, this takeover is a priority for Newcastle United fans, but it's not for the Premier League and it's not for anybody else you know, within the Premier League because Project Restart and even how clubs like Burnley are going to pay their wage bill in a couple of months of footballism up and running is the priority. Well, hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Hope you're all doing well, first of all. Um, yeah, Project Restart is going to cause a lot of complications. Um, that's a complex issue in itself before you even take in the fact that this is arguably the most complicated takeover process the Premier League has ever seen before any of that comes in. So the Premier League have a lot of uh, plates that are spinning at the moment, so it is going to take its time. Complicated takeover that matter is going to take a long time regardless. Project Restart is going to cause it to be delayed, of course. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things for the Premier League to consider with this. They need to make sure they're, they're legally covered in every sort of sense. Um, that if they do pass this takeover, there's going to be question marks. They need to be ready that, to, for those questions. And they need to make, make sure that, you know, they've done the right thing by allowing this this, pro, this takeover bid to, to be processed and become the new one of Newcastle United. You know, it, it, I mean, as, as fans, I'm sure you all feel a bit conflicted with in terms of, you know, the baggage that the, the, the Saudi ownership will bring in terms of the human rights issues that Amnesty International have brought out, um, among the other issues um, that they'll, they'll bring, of course. I feel conflicted myself, um, but it's going to be an exciting time for Newcastle fans, and I don't think necessarily they should be made to feel guilty for being excited for the end of the Mike Ashley era. We've, we've waited a long time to be rid of, of, of the Ashley era. There's been, there's been a huge crime sheet um, in the Ashley era, you don't need me to bore you with all the details. We'll be here all night if I keep going through that. But, um, you know, there's going to be questions coming, coming Newcastle's way. Um, but as fans, I don't think you can you, you can be excused for being excited. It's going to be hugely regenerative for the region. It's going to affect everybody's lives in the region in a, in a hugely beneficial way. Um, and I don't think fans should, should not, shouldn't be feeling excited about that. It is going to be an exciting time, but it is going to come with the question marks. And that's what the Premier League needs to consider. Most well, certainly. If anyone who couldn't make it, if you've got any friends who are wondering how to follow it, we've got the live blog up and running. Chris Knight there is, uh, is jotting the thoughts down so you can point your, your friends and family in the direction of the, the blog on our website. Um, we're going to dive in then to the first question, and it's from Greg Pullen. I'm going to get Lee to answer this one. Um, so this is, this is Greg. We have consistently been told that a takeover of a football club only becomes public after it happens, so why is there abundance of info information being reported? You know, from both well, you know, so widely, Lee. If it because Kira mentioned there how Mike Ashley bought the club originally, and you were you you tell the story of how it, it was literally, I think was it a phone call or a text message? And someone said, "Get up to St James's Park now. What's happening?" Yeah, I mean that happened very, very quickly. The Mike Ashley takeover back in two thousand seven. Um, you know, I got told to check something out and I rang the club secretary at the time and he said, basically, there's, there's nothing happening here today. And then within within two minutes, we got another phone call from the people who Mike Ashley had around him at the time who actually did communicate a bit better than they do now. And they said, yes, he has bought a, a great deal of shares and, yeah, um, you know, get that on the front page and that's ex exactly where it went. And I think at the time, people were actually happy that... Uh, Freddie Shepard was, was moved out of the club, and uh, nobody could have foreseen how um, how badly Mike Ashley's got it wrong. But going back to your other question, I think this one it has been played out in the media. Um, I think um, Amanda Stavely, you know, turned up at St James's Park, and I think three years ago she wanted to buy the club there and then. If Mike Ashley had been a bit more um, open to the negotiations, uh, the the whole lockdown and virus pandemic means Mike Ashley's going to be losing a lot of money um, unless he moves on now. Uh, empty stadiums are coming his way uh, because the fans aren't going to be allowed in. Um, the TV money may have to be paid back and it's not going to be the the big profit-making machine that he's had for the last 13 years. This, this could be a very different one. So this is a time for him to move out. And I think, if he, to be totally honest, from his point of view, 300 million is probably a great price for him. And, uh, you know, no, no, but the fans just want to turn the page on the club now. And I think that, that's very important. And we've all been impressed with um, some of the ideas. I mean, some of them have been far-fetched. We've had 
agents and representatives jumping on the bandwagon, um, touting the clients. We've, I think we've seen like a, you know, a World Cup 11 touted with Newcastle in the last few weeks. But realistically, I think the plans to get the supporters back on board, um, to talk to the forums, to talk to the fanzines, all that sort of thing, I think is, is good news for the club. And hopefully um, when we do eventually get to this new normal, whatever that's going to be, uh, it's going to be positive times for Newcastle. The second question is from Colin Taylor, and I'm going to hand this one over to, to Simon. Um, and Colin asks, in the long term, how do you think members, um, sorry, how do you think fans and then the club should react to the human rights issue once the takeover is complete? Um, is it, I mean, it's not just a case of brushing under the carpet, is it? These issues, whether we like it or not, have to be addressed. No, exactly. I've done a piece for the for the paper tomorrow saying that Newcastle fans don't don't get to choose their owner. They didn't get to choose Mike Ashley. They don't get to choose the Saudis as the person as the people who are who are who are buying it. Um, and with that comes baggage, and there is huge baggage. And I, I don't think Newcastle fans should get defensive and angry on Twitter and and annoyed and, and become cheerleaders for uh, for the bad stuff that a regime's done because. We, all, we can all see with our own eyes and listen to Amnesty and watch the news to see that the Saudi regime can be bad, right? And, and we've got to admit that and, and just accept it. And I think if they buy Newcastle, um, there's, a, there's a leverage that Newcastle fans have got. So um, if they own our club, we don't, I, I don't think Newcastle should, fans should just say, well, it's all right that homosexuality should be banned in Saudi Arabia or that uh, they should execute 130 people like they did uh, last year, um, the most they've done for years. There are a lot of abuses there, which fans, if they want to get involved in that side of things, they can, they can, they can understand and educate themselves about and be wary about and ask questions about um, of, of the regime if they want to. Um, however, there's a lot of Newcastle fans who just want to see someone own in their club and, and invest. So there are people who got annoyed about Mike Ashley there were, and wanted to protest and, and demonstrate. There are a lot of fans who kept going to the matches and just wanted to watch a game of football. <laughs> it, it's such a complicated issue. I wouldn't blame, I wouldn't blame any fan for, for walking away because of Mike Ashley. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame them for walking away because the Saudis have taken over, but it's, it's, it's more likely, I think, because fans can, can, can see that they actually have a bit of ambition for the club. Human rights issue issues are, are, are a big thing. I, I, the, the one thing that has annoyed me is when I've seen fans, and they're probably almost certainly not representative, or I hope they're not, um, you know, doing down the widow of, uh, um, criticising the widow of Kasodji on Twitter. That, that's the polling to do that on Twitter, and don't, don't do it. She's a grieving widow who wants to use this issue to highlight what's happened to her husband. Just like Saudi Arabia want to take over Newcastle United um, and use it as a as a as a, as a tool or a, um, a, a, a some 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 sort of trophy asset that the that the uh, that the nation has got to to project Saudi Arabia as a forward thinking country. So don't get defensive about it. Think about it. Um, know that these things are happening, but know that it's not Newcastle fans' fault that these things are happening because it's not. They just want to support their club basically. I'm just going to bring in Alex Hurst, uh, the chair of the NUST. Thanks, Alex, for, for joining us. What is the feeling within the NUST? Obviously, you've got a lot of members. Um, the relationship between you guys and the club hasn't been as um, forthcoming as, as I guess you guys would like. So the prospect of new owners coming in must be brilliant. Um, but what is the feeling, first of all, with the, the issues raised? And, and then secondly, what are you guys hoping as a trust to to kind of strike up with the prospective new owners. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I think the, the members of the Supporters Trust are pretty clear um, that the vast majority of them are, are completely in favour of the takeover. Uh, you know, you don't have to hold a, a solitary, solitary position. There are members, I'm sure, who are, you know, really excited about the prospects, particularly of Mike Ashley leaving and, and new owners coming in, but also share concerns about the kind of things that Simon so eloquently put there. Um, in terms of what we would like to see as a board and a trust, I think, to, to keep it simple, we, we would like the, the football club and new owners to, to follow the Premier League directives on fan engagement, which, to be fair to the Premier League, are fairly robust and fairly straightforward. There should be people employed within the club, um, as in a supporters liaison officer or, or even officers, 
or supporter liaison team who who take feedback uh, from fans and beyond that you'd like to see every decision made in Newcastle United in the best interests of supporters and supporters through through you know structured dialogue and stuff like that um, to be consulted on, on key things there's not a lot to ask really and if you're a football club and you want to be successful like we hope these new owners would like to be you know you'd think they'd want to know what fans are thinking that you know what what the fans like what do they, do, do they dislike and any major decision taken for example you know things that affect fans like ticket price increases or anything like that consult with fan groups consult with the supporters trust and others because they're going to be able to make more informed decisions through that communication it's not asking a lot I think, you know, to, to summarise, we'd, we'd like to see supporters put back in, in the centre of running Newcastle United because I think anyone would, would be hard-pushed to argue that supporters have been anywhere near um, the people at the centre of decision-making over the past 13 years. Fantastic. Um, cheers for that, Alex. Um, Mark, over to you. And um, we get a lot of questions uh, about our coverage and about the way we, we, we've covered this takeover story. And, um you know, stories that have gone before. I'm just going to read a question out from um, from Giles Shirley. Um, so given the claims about the, the World Trade Organization and the takeover as the Guardian claimed in serious doubt, Giles asks, is it, um, or is it just another press story? And that follows into how we cover um, the takeover. But first of all, is, is there reason to be concerned about the World Trade Organization story? Well, I think you know anything that's anything that's raised um, about piracy, anything that's raised um, that, that could potentially derail the the, uh, the takeover has to be. I mean, it has to be a concern of sorts. But as I said before, I think it's without generally get, digging into what the WTO report actually says, it's going to be very difficult for us to to say that it's it's going it, to it's definitely going to derail the takeover. My feeling is that I think you've got to look at it's going to have to be a very compelling case to for them to sit and actually reject this this takeover because there's a few things number one it's investment into the league um number two other owners i think pretty much every owner in the premier league barring maybe one or two would look would, would be open to selling if somebody came in uh, a foreign state came in and and potentially uh, and, and potentially was willing to offer them the kind of money that newcastle's owner is getting is getting is getting and then they also got to consider that what, what happens to Newcastle if Mike Ashley, an unhappy owner, is, is forced to sit around the table as well? So there's a lot of conflicting things there. I, I think it's going to have to be uh, an explicit reason. So there's either going to have to be proof that they've misled or lied um, in their original documentation, which I think, as Lee's piece earlier said, that they're, they're absolutely insistent that that's not the case. Um, otherwise, it's going to have to come down to somebody's somebody's judgment, effectively, because it's not a... It's not a, a criminal prosecution that's happening here. It's not a, it's not an, a, you know, there doesn't have to be compelling evidence. It's, it's really on the balance of probability. So, uh, you know, I, I still think as an educated guest, based on what people are telling us from the buying side and based on this, how this process has worked in the past, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned to the point where I think it's going to collapse yet. Um, and I still think on the balance of probabilities, it's going it's to go ahead. Now, in terms of the, the coverage um, and, and how and how we do it, uh, I think that um, you know it, it's really really difficult because we're into week seven or eight now. There are some some people who've managed to sort of sit and, and not write too much on this. Maybe apart from the, the original story, um, they've written that and then maybe managed to withdraw from it. it a little bit in the background which is which is absolutely you know I, I totally understand that but we you know we, that's not the nature of our coverage we are 24 7 Newcastle United feed so you know we've been covering everything that's from a fairly reliable source in our live blog which I know infuriates some people but you know the, the amount of interest there is in this story it's clear from us because the amount of people that are coming on and checking out the live blog for the latest latest information is clear and people are doing that every day and I think I'm hoping that most readers kind of understand now that there's a difference between that and the stories that Lee, uh, Kieran, uh, myself, you, and, and, and others write, you know, it, when it's got Lee's name on it, you know, I, I know, I obviously we can't give away our sources, but I know the, the number of people that that's gone through to get onto our page. It's not just a case of somebody else has said it, so we'll copy it. it, it that's not the case at all. But of course, the live blog uh, is a slightly different thing. So it does sometimes look as if there's contradictory things being said. And I think that 
there's so much noise at the moment. There's so much noise. And, and there are a few people on Twitter, a few, um, a few reporters who've maybe said it's going to be this week or it's going to be next week and stuff. And I don't think we've, we've tried to stay away from that. I think there was maybe one point at which I was in the impression it was definitely going to happen. Or it was going to happen at that week based on pretty good evidence, but obviously new documents came in um, which are being discussed at the moment. But I think in terms of our coverage, it's the only, it's the only story in town, Newcastle United wise, and we're covering it in the same way that we've covered everything else um, that's happened with Newcastle United for the last, um, for the last four or five years. Just the difference with this is there's so much scrutiny, there's so much frustration, and I think people just want an answer now. And I think I speak for all of our lads as well when I say that we do as well. And I'd love to be able to sit here and say the fact is that this is going to happen. All we can do is go to the sources, go to the Premier League as Lee is doing every day, go to the buyers, go to the, the selling side um, and, and piece together the pieces. And that's, that's what we've done. Um, you know, our, our pride is on the fact that we've not, you know, we've not written anything that's been uh, that's been knocked down, not written anything that's been palpably false. Um, so, you know, I know we're a little bit of a punching bag, I think, at this point, but we are trying to answer every question that we can. Um, and you do, you do sort of lead with your chin a little bit when you're, uh, when you're writing about it every day, but that's the nature of, uh, of what the Chronicle does. Uh, Lee, Mark mentioned there the reaction to the World Trade Organization story. Um, the piece that you've written, for those who maybe haven't read it on our website or weren't yet at the start of the, the, the chat, can you just kind of explain uh, the reaction like that, that you received? Well, I think today's story just possibly reassured a few people. Um, I think it's it's. I think someone touched on it earlier that you know if you want to if you want to build up negativity, you can read everything and interpret it in a in a negative way, um, or you can just try and stay as balanced as possible, which is what we've tried to do by going to to all sides of the story. Sometimes we can't get on the record comments from people, um, but we can get guidance from people in and around that. And I, I think that's, it's quite difficult for people sometimes who haven't been involved in journalism to, to, to know that. Um, so it's trying to get that across, which I think Mark's just tried to, to do there um, when describing the difference between the live blog and the stories that end up in the newspaper. It's all, it's all done <clears throat> very differently these days. I think really overall it does provide you with that role and service. If you want the sort of full commentary on it, then you know the blog's a place to go. If you want to just keep up to date with certain notifications, you can do that as well. So um trying to get that end game now, basically we were trying to, to get the results um everyone wants, which is is Mike Ashley, you know, moved on out of the club. Um I think we we're all I think everybody on here and you know, everyone watching on the blog would agree with that. Um, I think Mike Ashley has had his time now at Newcastle. Um, he made a, a real mess of it. Um, I mean, even you look at it, I mean, I've heard a few people say this is the craziest story they've, they've covered um, on journalism. But when you've had Joe Kinnear work for the club twice, uh, certainly on my watch, um, that, that it's, it's, a, it's a big competition. But hopefully um, we get the result we all want. And... Um, then we can start learning more about who, who's going to take charge. Because I think, really, until we get that, um, and it's going to be the government and the Premier League who have made this decision, the joint decision, if you like, but the, the government by allowing the Premier League to, to do it themselves almost. Um, until we get that decision, then we, we can't learn more about exactly who's going to be in charge. <laughs>